uh, if you can do that, then I know that you've reached a kind of a, you know, the Jedi sort of level of needling skills. Welcome to ED ECMO. Welcome to ED ECMO. This is ED ECMO. Okay, ED ECMO, today we have a very cool episode. This is actually a, a very practical episode. It's about how do you confirm wires? And this is uh, just so simple yet so hard. And, uh, and we've had mistakes in the past and we will probably continue to have mistakes, but we want to try and figure out better ways and better technologies to do this. And today I have with us the one, the only Sasha Richardson. Sasha, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. So Sasha's from Melbourne. He's from the Alfred. He's been to reanimate several times. He actually, I was just with him at the Big Sick in Zermont and uh, in Switzerland. It was a fantastic time. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Snow and ECMO. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> That's right. Lots of skiing. You should make it out to that conference sometime. But today, <laughs> actually before Sasha, before we get into wire confirmation and all the stuff that you're so good at, there is something that Sasha is doing that I think everyone needs to know because this is just so amazing. Sasha, tell us about your all the work you've been doing in, in Melbourne and as far as getting ECMO into the field. Uh, yeah, well, we, we're, uh, we're going to try and get a Cheer 3, which is a study, uh, just, a, just a safety and feasibility study to do pre-hospital ECMO. We're obviously not the, the first group to do this, but uh, we would be the first guys um, uh, in Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, we just want to do a handful, see that it's uh, it's one possible, uh, that we can do it safely. Um, and uh, we've got some money, uh, which has been generously donated to us to uh, do a run of up to 20, uh, which we'll do over the next 12 months. And we're hoping to go live with that in the next kind of six weeks to eight weeks or so, uh, once we get a few other things lined up. So uh, yeah, no, really exciting times for us. Um, I mean, what we've seen is that unfortunately a lot of patients are coming to the ED uh, from uh, their out-of-hospital cardiac arrest scenarios, but they're just not getting to us in time. It's taking them, you know, well over 45 minutes, and uh, often they uh, they reach us after that 60-minute point. And so we uh, we've got this theory that if we it's usually easier to move an ECMO console and a team uh, than an arrested patient who's having uh, mechanical compressions uh, to the hospital. So uh, we'd like to see that we can get these people on to support more quickly. And uh, as we all know, the time to support is critical. Um, so it may well translate into better outcomes. That's our, that's our hope anyway. But first of all, let's just prove we can do it safely and, uh, 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 and it's feasible. And then we can hopefully do a bigger trial and, and show some benefits. Oh, that's just so, so awesome, Sasha. And so London's doing it, Paris is doing it, and now Melbourne. Now, I think one of the things that I would be interested in, I think a lot of the listeners, maybe not exactly with pre-hospital, but, but in this bigger sort of question of how did you navigate all this? What were your, what were the pitfalls? What were the things that, that, uh, that you had to go through to, to make this happen? Uh, well, look, I'd say I'm lucky that I've entered the team after quite a lot of established ECMO research. So they, uh, the original CHEER trial uh, was done by, uh, by my colleagues, um, and that was obviously proving uh, ECMO CPR uh, working uh, for both the combination of in-hospital and out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. Um, so it's really off the, on their shoulders um, that we're, we're able to kind of do this next trial. Uh, and all we're doing is the same, the same therapy, um, just, uh, just in a different location. So with, without that early work, we wouldn't have got uh, 
this off the ground, I don't think. Um, and uh, because of that, uh, that history, obviously, there's a, uh, the hospital has um, uh, respect for the researchers um, and they're willing to uh, give us a little, you know, these opportunities to go out and, uh, and do pre-hospital ECMO. We also have a very close relationship with Ambulance Victoria that run our uh, paramedic service in, in Melbourne and it, uh, through Steve Bernard, who's also a, an author on the CHEER trial. And it's really with that relationship that has allowed us to sort of marry the two skill sets. We can take the, the ECMO skills, which in our institutions run by the intensivists. Uh, we can work with the paramedic teams through Ambulance Victoria uh, and get our ECMO console and our guys out to the scene and uh, cannulating on scene. So that's, that's the idea. Uh, but yeah, all built on a history of uh, or, you know, good research and a good relationship with our, our paramedic team. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so let's dive into this. Getting the right vessel. During CPR, it is tough. It's tough to see these vessels. Can you just kind of start us off? What, what are some of your tips and tricks on how to, uh, to go about accessing these vessels? Yeah, look, look, this is this is a this is a skill that can be uh, can be learnt, um, you know, needling vessels, and uh, I, it's something that I've kind of taken time in my practice to uh, really invest in uh, improving my uh, my skills. Um, so I think it all starts right at the right at the beginning. How do you how do you hit the right vessel? Well, it's um, uh, in, in the past I used to say, you know, everyone says that oh, I'm pretty good at ultrasound guided central line insertion. Um, and then when you do a lot of training with people, you see that the, the capability is actually very wide. Some people are, have got very good skills. They can hit a very small target. Other people, are, uh, you know, they use the ultrasound. They see where the vessel is roughly. And then they um, just sort of plunge the needle in uh, and keep sort of <clears throat> jabbing it around until they get uh, uh, blood coming back. So, um, so I think the first thing is you've got, to have, um, you've got to have really good kind of needling skills. And you can train for that by doing... Uh, either a combination of vascular access ultrasound courses um, to kind of learn some of the fine motor skills. Um, now I, I say, can you get a, a pick line into a neonate? And if, uh, if you can do that, then I know that you've reached a kind of, a, you know, the Jedi sort of level of needling skills. Um, uh, so it isn't just a case of having a quick look with the ultrasound and plugging the needle in. So I think first thing you've got to decide you want to improve your own skills, and um, and then once you've once you've done maybe one of those courses, um, you can then use every opportunity for vascular access to really hone your skills. You don't need to be doing it in an eCPR setting. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity for refining and improving your own skill set. Um, uh, and then my my mo method for vascular access is uh, I use uh, short axis views, and I like to stabilize. Uh, both the probe and my um, needling hand on the patients, particularly in the ECPR when things are moving around a lot, uh, you really want to kind of stabilize both those, uh, uh, both those parts of your body on the patient. Visualize the vessel. Um, I like to enter the vessel at a 45 degree angle and I want to follow the needle tip all the way down. So it's sort of a continuous uh, real-time imaging of the needle tip as it enters the vessel. Uh, so I've picked the point that I'm going to uh, that I want to enter the vessel at the 12 o'clock position. So I want I want to know that the needle tip is going to go straight through uh, the 12 o'clock, so top of the vessel to the skin. Um, identify that point. Measure the depth of the vessel below the skin. So if I see the, the vessels at two and a half or three centimeters, say from the uh, from the surface, I'll then 
plan to insert the needle three centimeters sort of towards me or away from the patient's head through the skin. So that'll, that'll sort of guarantee that if I hold a 45 degree trajectory, I'll enter the vessel at that point. Uh, and then I'll bring my ultrasound probe back and I will watch, I'll, I'll get the needle tip just under the skin and then I'll image it with the ultrasound probe and I'll gradually move the probe back towards that entry point as I advance the needle and you'll see you'll see the needle tip at each point it uh, dives down and enters the vessel and then um, advance the uh, the needle tip just a short distance inside the lumen of the vessel and then run my guide wire up so that so the first thing is you know you've, you've maintained a sort of continuous view of your needle tip all the way uh, through into the center of the vessel and um, that's your that's that's kind of sort of step one for getting the the uh, the wire in the right spot Okay, so step one is getting the wire in. You use ultrasound confirmation. You saw your needle tip go right into the vessel, and uh, and now you. But how about with finding these vessels? Now, sometimes, I mean, actually, I would say more often than not, the artery is right on top of the vein. Do you have do you have tricks as far as when you have that scenario or scenarios where you're where the vessels are maybe even difficult to to see on the ultrasound? Yeah, so if you if you see them and that they're they're one above the other, then if, if you externally rotate the leg, you'll find that you'll move the vessels uh, to a more sort of lateralizing position. So one will be sort of lateral to the other. So that's a that's a that's a bit of a cheat really for uh, for improving the angle of access. The other thing is you can just move your probe, the ultrasound probe, either medial or lateral, and um, that will then basically move the move the vessels from above each other to side to side um, so those are my sort of two techniques for trying to get the vessels to separate in a more lateral manner okay so now we've got some tricks tips how we found the vessels from there what do you do so what, what so you've got your, you've got your you found the vessels you've um uh you now need to confirm your position that you're going to enter the vessel so if you decide you're going to usually for the um for the femoral artery, we want to enter the vessel just above the bifurcation uh, from the superficial femoral artery and the profunda femoris, uh, but below the inguinal ligament. Um, it's, uh, we've, we've certainly had a couple where we've gone through the inguinal ligament, and that is very difficult to uh, dilate to ECMO cannular sizes, so I recommend you stick below that. Um, so the key point, identify your entry point into the vessel. Uh, I then measure the depth from the skin to the uh, to the vessel, uh, and I want to enter the vessel at a 45 degree angle. So if I measure that depth to be three centimeters, I will then enter the skin three centimeters further down the leg uh, through the skin, because that'll then ensure that I, if I come in at 45 degrees, I'm going to enter the vessel at the correct spot. Uh, um, I then introduce the needle just beneath the skin, pull back my um, ultrasound probe, and then I follow the needle tip in the short axis. Uh, uh, just advancing the needle tip and moving the ultrasound probe back towards the point that I want to enter the vessel. And that way I can follow the needle tip all the way down uh, until it enters the vessel at the 12 o'clock position, just uh, so at the, the most proximal point to the skin I want to enter at that 12 o'clock position, enter the lumen, advance a short distance up the lumen, and then introduce my guide wire or check that I've got flashback on the back of the, uh, on the, back of the syringe. The... The main thing is to stabilize, um, particularly during an eCPR setting when things are moving around, just stabilize with the, uh, your body and your hand on the patient so that if they're moving, if the vessels are moving, you're going to move with them. Uh, and that's uh, obviously 
key when you've got a CPR is ongoing. And some centers you can uh, you know pause compressions during that needling point. Uh, in my experience, it's usually okay. You can enter the vessels quite safely whilst compressions are ongoing, um, if the um, if the vessels are of a reasonable size. Now, in, an, in a prolonged uh, CPR setting with lots of adrenaline on board, we do see that the artery can be very vasospastic, uh, and that obviously increases the difficulty for that arterial puncture. Uh, and for that reason, we usually try and enter the artery first. It's our first shot. So, so once you've got your wires in, the next step is you really want a confirmatory process for checking that the wires are in the right spot. Like uh, we've all seen uh, inadvertent AA ECMO or VV ECMO in an eCPR setting, and so obviously it's not not physiologically supportable. So uh, this is a catastrophe. So how do you uh, how do you get a second confirmation? Our, our usual method is to do a subcostal view with the echo probe. And we want to see the IVC. And if we can see, first of all, we want to see one wire in the IVC. If you see two wires in the IVC, we know that we're, we're already got a VV cannulation. So that's no good. Um, so we scan the IVC, see that single wire. And the next thing is to rotate the probe around into the short axis in that subcostal view. And in the majority of people, you can get a uh, descending thoracic um, aortic view or um, that sort of upper abdominal aortic view. Uh, and if you freeze the image, um, because during CPR, remember everything's you know everything's moving, uh, and it's difficult to kind of interpret a live ultrasound image. So freeze that image, and then step back and have a look. You should be able to see that guide wire sitting up in the um, sort of upper abdominal aorta, uh, just as a dot um, if it's the short axis, which is what uh, we usually do. Um, so once you see that, then you can be reasonably confident that you've got. Uh, uh, you know, v, a V wire and an arterial wire, and you're safe to um, progress. We we don't tend to use uh, transesophageal echo intra arrest, but there are some centers that do that. And of course, you can get uh, similar images. You can get your aortic image and your um, uh, IVC image on a on a on a transesophageal echo as well. Um, those would be our our sort of key ultrasound guided principles for confirming. Uh, other set, other options are using um, uh, X-ray imaging. So if you've got access to a, a C arm or uh, uh, or just a, uh, an X-ray bar off a gurney, you can shoot an X-ray of the uh, of the abdomen. Um, if you've accessed the the left femoral artery uh, and you've accessed the right femoral vein, you should see the wires crossing. Um, in the sort of uh, in the abdomen, uh, uh, where obviously when the aorta and the IVC cross over, um, so that's another way that you can confirm that you've uh, you've likely got uh, venous wire and arterial wire. Yeah, so these are these are all really good methods. I you know we we've kind of used a combination of them at Sharp. We uh, how often do you are you not able to get an adequate ultrasound image on a patient for whatever reasons, air, obesity? Uh, how often do you feel like that's not an adequate confirmation for you? Uh, look, I have to say that we're, we're, we're pretty lucky. I don't know if that's because our patients aren't too obese, but, um, you know, our greater, greater than 90, 95% of the time we're getting, uh, we're getting imaging from the uh, subcostal view uh, that allows us to confirm, particularly that venous wire, a single venous wire, we're able to get that, you know, really almost all the time. Uh, whether you can get the second shot of the uh, the uh, abdominal aorta in the short axis just to confirm a guide wire there is um, uh, maybe that's a bit less less 
uh, maybe not all the time, but we, we should be able to get that at least 60% of the time. Mm. Yeah, we sometimes will use the x-ray as well, and it's not obviously not as quick. We, we've tried to try and expedite it because we would love to have the ability to have fluoro, but we are not there yet. I know that if you've been looking through the literature, the Japanese just came out with one of their presentations on their new hybrid ERs that does show you know pretty cool images of how you can set up a an ER table to have fluoroscopic capabilities. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the major advantages of what Dimitri sees in Minneapolis is that he can just confirm everything so much quicker having the fluoro C arm right there with him. Tell me what else from, from this standpoint, you also in Australia, I think you guys teach the whole section at reanimate on ultrasound. And, and ironically enough, I don't always get to see it because I'm teaching but you also expand the ultrasound use to other things you use it for echo as well yeah uh yeah, yeah. obviously you know echo is a, a key part of um offering an ecpr program so uh, uh we like to uh before we go on echo not for an, in an arrest setting but we uh when you're assessing cardiogenic shock or you're looking at a patient with severe respiratory failure you want to make sure that they don't have an intracardiac shunt uh so you know echo is a is a sort of key key skill uh, for for running an ECMO program, um, so it's something that we we try and train uh, all of our uh, consultants, uh, but also uh, also our trainees as well to give them uh, basic ECHO level skills. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's an important part of an ECMO program. I think this is really key stuff. It's not it's not rocket science, but but uh, it does it does take a little bit of energy to stop all the momentum that's going on in ECPR and say no no no. We're going to make sure that, you know, the wires are in the place. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast is is so important in, in running an eCPR code. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's probably two points that you have to really slow down in an eCPR. The first one is uh, confirming that you're in the right spot with the wires. And so taking that extra you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds to confirm. Because if you go, if you start dilating, put your cannulas in and discover that you're in the wrong spot, then it's a disaster. You know, it's really very difficult to bail yourself out of that situation. Uh, and the second one is during the actual dilatation of the vessels. Uh, you know, it, kinking a guide wire again can just really throw a spanner in the works and delay the whole process. So uh, taking time, being meticulous with your dilatation technique is, uh, is another area where just going a little slower is going to save you in the long run. Um, those would be um, our kind of key key times to slow up. Yeah, and I know people out there are listening. I mean, this is a, this is a point of frustration, and and when you're starting your program, I mean, this this kind of stuff does happen. So, but having just another step that you can get in there and try and confirm, we've thought of so many different ways to try and improve this. How do we make cannulation easier? How do we make it better? How do we get these things in faster? And well. I don't have any perfect solution as of yet. Yeah, uh, guide wires are an interesting area. I think uh, we increasingly reach for amplats or stiff guide wires, and that can uh, that can that can speed up the dilatation process uh, because the soft wires can kink so easily, particularly if you're in a in a rush and you've you've uh, you've got the wrong angle. Um, that's probably another key thing actually when you're when you're needling the vessel. If you can keep a very straight path into the vessel, none of this of suddenly changing direction halfway halfway down as you're going through the subcutaneous tissue, uh, then that does make the dilatation go easier. Um, if you're constantly making big angle corrections on the way down, uh, that then means that the guide wire is going to sit at a, you know, with some kinks in it already before it gets into the vessel. And then when you try and dilate that with a 
honking great dilator, you're going to kink the wire. Mm. So, uh, yeah, a nice straight entry into the into the vessel is a, is definitely will make things easier down the track. Uh, and yeah, stiff wires are kind of interesting. Uh, just got to be careful with the with the tips of them when they're sitting up by the right atrium. We don't want to cause uh, perforation. Uh, so being very uh, being very kind of knowledgeable about where uh, what sort of distance you're in. So I tend to leave my guide wires out on the. Uh, we tend to run with a sterile sterile table, sterile drape at the feet end, and um, we'll have all of our equipment on it. And what I'll do is when the when the guide wires are in and in the right spot, I'll see where the end of the guide wire sitting on that table and i'll ask somebody it's often a crowd of uh, thousands watching an ecpr code so i'll ask somebody look here's my here's the guide wire i don't want it to go in any more than this distance i don't want it to come out any more than this distance can you just keep an eye on it for me and uh, that way you're not gonna you're not gonna inadvertently pull a guide wire out or uh, go the other way and uh, advance it too far in and start to um, uh, run the risk of perforating a right atrium yeah that's that's good good stuff yeah our the whole wire assistant phase that we've kind of started to adopt and now each each reanimate we actually get better and better because our techs go through and teach all the uh the sessions at reanimate as well so when they come back to to work we just seems like the codes run so much better because we have people who are knowledgeable in what we're trying to do yeah, the unintended consequence of uh, of all the training it definitely improves the team performance. Um, yeah, on the on the front line. Yeah, no, we we definitely agree with that and see the same with our uh, when we run our ECMO course as well. All right, well, Sasha, this is great. Any last thoughts or? Well, look, I, I think my only last thought would be that um, you know, as a, as a skill, it's it's uh, it, it can be learnt, but uh, mainly needling vessels, you can always get better. And uh, any opportunity to put in a line is, uh, even if it's not an ECMO cannula, it's just a central line or a VASCAF or a, even a peripheral line that you're going to use an ultrasound machine with, that all of those skills um, can be employed uh, at that time to improve your capability. And it will make it easier when you come to put in that ECMO cannula, whenever that may be. Oh, it's so awesome. And we've learned so much from the Alfred, from all of you, as far as cannulation, Vin Pellegrino, and uh, the, the uh, pin and pull and push and rack. And, and so you guys are masters at, uh, at the cannulation aspect of all this. All right, so today we learned about wire confirmation. We learned about how to enter the body with the needle, making sure you have ultrasound imaging of it, make sure that you have control over your wire, make sure that you confirm where your wires are. You can use that through ultrasound. You can also do it through serial x-rays. And if you have the luxury of fluoro at bedside, that is a, a major advantage. Uh, we've also learned just about how slow is smooth and make sure that you are going in at, at one angle, like Sasha said, that can be advantageous for the dilation process as well. So Sasha, thank you. And from ED ECMO, podcast number 54, signing out.